I, I enjoy gaming because it provides a framework for collaboration on stories that are better than what any of the people sitting at the table could come up with on their own. Uh, my name is Zachary Johnson, and I am the Gamerati. Gamerati.com. It's good to be a gamer. Welcome to Behind the DM Screen with Jeff Greiner, Mike Shea, and myself, Randall Walker. And I think it's worth uh, saying at the beginning of our episode today, because it was pointed out recently on the comments um, of our last episode, somebody was seemed to be sort of confused about what the, the show is. And sometimes we forget that every episode could be somebody's first episode. So, right. Mike, what is behind the DM screen? Vanity. That sounds about right. Greed. No. <laughs> Greed and vanity. <laughs> it is three guys talking about their games. That's right. That's right. Uh, it, it's There's not. Your, your it's not. That's right. It's not intended to be advice for for the DM or or what have you. Um, it's it's the three of us talking about our games and helping each other out, and and you know everybody else gets to sort of listen in on the conversation, and that's what we do. That's, We're not responsible uh, I, if you take our ideas and they make your game horrible. Right. <laughs> now, now you may take our ideas, and, and many people have have listened to and gotten inspiration from, and 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 we've heard lots of people who have enjoyed getting inspiration and ideas from from our conversations. Um, you know, but we also have on the Tome Show production feed, um, we have advice episodes once a month, and and that kind of stuff. And so there's lots of other places where we where we give very very general advice. This show. Is all about us and talking about our games and helping these three guys, these three DMs with various levels of experience and, and preferences and what have you, helping each other out, make our own games better, and letting exactly. you guys listen in. Yep. So I hope that um, addresses your concerns, Hive Mind, who, who left his comment on the. Uh, how, can, how can a guy named Hive Mind be one person? Called out. <laughs> well, because he is. No, but it's a Hive Mind. He's one of many. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, and I'm not calling him out. I'm just, I, I want to make sure he didn't. didn't you just know call what him out? Well, yeah, you just, you just called him out. Just called him out by name. I reference. <laughs> somehow, I think Hive Mind is not his name. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, it's I'm his ref- handle. I'm referencing his comment in hopes that he underst- better now understands what what the show's all about. Somewhere there's a colony of bees that's really pissed right now. Right. All of Twitter got really mad. Well, despite, despite their jokes, Hive Mind, I apologize for not making it clear in the last episode what the show was doing. So, speaking of which, um, if people want to get a hold of us, and we, we do one, we decided what last episode that one person in the entire world will get us helping them with their campaign in every episode. One lucky person. So if you want to be that person in future episodes, you need to email me at thetomeshow at gmail.com, and I will forward that on to the other guys. Uh, or call into the Tomes Biz Line at 919-BIZ-TOME, 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And then uh, we will listen to that and make that part of the show as well. And this time around, we had one guy who was talking to me on Twitter, and he really wanted to get, get some questions in, but... Uh, it's recording time, and I don't have them yet, so maybe mm. next time. And how do we how do we select questions? Do we do them randomly, or are we choosing by you know most interesting topic? 
Uh, I forward them, on, them onto you guys, and then Curmudgeon Mike picks the one that he can tolerate the most. Because yeah, that's, we, that's a good, it's a good approach. We all know it that is a good approach. We, we all know that Mike uh, hates everything and everyone. Mm, not everything, but, but like probably ninety nine percent. Right, and so um, Mike what, is that guy on the rope bridge at the end of the Holy Grail. Yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. Mike hates the least. And you didn't even get the movie right. The rope bridge is the end of Temple of Doom. What? It's a rope bridge. At the Holy end of the Grail? Holy Grail, yes. Wah! You know they go you know, over the the um whatever it's pit of eternal peril or whatever the hell it's called. Rope bridge. Yeah. The rope bridge is where where Indy cuts it with the machete. No, wrong movie. Holy Grail. Oh, the Holy Grail. I think. Yeah. Indiana Jones. <laughs> No, Not Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail. <laughs> Monty Python. Python and the Holy Grail. There so you go. So this is a show about DMs working on their campaigns. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry, Jeff. Back on track. Randall. Yes, sir. We're going to start with you right after yeah. this break from our sponsor. Ha, see how I did that? That's good. <laughs> For entire generations of people now, gaming is as much a part of the fabric of their reality as television, films, books music, and any other form of entertainment medium. Continue is a magazine for the gaming community, the global gaming community. Not just video and computer games, but board games, card games, role-playing games, alternate reality games, and anything that falls into the category of humans engaging to have fun. A celebration of gaming. Everything we love about this mad entertainment sector. Continue Magazine at www.continuemag.com. All right, Randall, tell us about your game. What have you done in the last month? Absolutely nothing. Sweet. What are you doing in the next no. month? <laughs> <laughs> actually, no. And actually, it brings up a good point um, and things that I need to talk about um, because um, uh, I've had, like, two players tell me, like, because of family issues and stuff like that, they don't think they can make the game as it's been currently scheduled. Mm. So we are trying to come up with something else if i can do a sunday afternoon instead of saturday that gets me one of my players back so i am going to try for that in the meantime i hijacked um uh my my dm um because i play too and a and my dm i hijacked one of his games a month because we play every two weeks and to run um dnd next play tests mm. so i did that once so far, but I have not run my regular game, and I don't know if we're allowed to talk about that or not. So yeah, we're allowed to talk about it. Are we? Oh, is, yeah, is it the public play test? Yeah, yeah, you can talk about it. You, you just can't. You can't quote can't. like you know right. giant paragraphs of text, yeah, which you, I won't. Yeah, you, you can't. But you can tell all about it. Yeah, but I can talk about that because we. I did just run that, and that is fresh in my head. So yeah, talk about um, it. It went great. Um, I kind of sprung it on the players sort of at the last minute, but we got everyone signed up, and um, I totally – I rocked it old school. There wasn't a computer in sight. Uh, one caveat. There was a I, – I couldn't read the map. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I printed it out, the numbers were so faint I had lost the key, and so I had to pull up – and I didn't bring – um, a little shout out to the Weem who does this, who did this great full color mm-hmm. map of the everyone knows I think, but um, I had it at home, but I could find his site on the on the on the web, so I had to pull up the map on the computer. But other than that, I rocked everything old school, did all the initiatives, did all the monster hit points and stuff, all on a notebook, which I hadn't done in like, and um, used little counters for the initiative initiative counters and um, the edge of the map 
to keep track of that stuff and uh, used no miniatures except to keep track where the party was actually at. Mm-hmm. And we used one-inch scale um, piezo flip mats, but I used it to map the actual um, map, not as an encounter map, right? but as mapping out the exploring map or whatever you want to call that. Um, and that actually worked out really well. Everyone dug the, um, you know, put it in quotes, theater of the mind thing. And um, it was not uh, a, a difficult transition at all. I mean, all of us had been used to playing 4E for some time now. And uh, I thought there was going to be a little bit of a hesitation or um, lack of uh, uh, smooth uh, play. But it w- it went really nice. We got through about... I get encounters aren't the same in D and D next as they are defined in four E, but if you kind of make them equal, we got it through about two and a half times more encounters than we would have playing four E. Which was really nice. And we played only like three hours. So mm-hmm. So how many battles did you get done in three hours? Uh about four. Because mm-hmm. we had several that ran because of of extra foes that came in. Right. Sure. Um, normally those would be discrete encounters, but because of things that the players did, you know, help was called in, the monsters called in help. Mm-hmm. And so you had more, but it was, like I said, about two and a half times more than what we did with, um, four E. How did you, how did you start them out? Did you start them in a town or anything like that? Or did you just kind of throw them right into the caves? We jumped right to it. Um, mm-hmm. I knew time was limited and we got started pretty late. So it was like, you know, I'm just going to start you at the caves, guys. Cause, so we didn't worry about any kind of um, interaction. I guess that's the lake that they're calling it. Mm-hmm. Um, and went straight to the caves, and they, they led off with the goblins. Mm-hmm. So I killed two players. Oh, wow. Um, dead, dead? I, dead, dead. And wow. um, interesting, because what happened is they went in, uh, the mage with guns ablazing, and they used, he dropped his big spells because they were big rooms full of, you know, you know 13, 16 monsters right and women and children and all you know it's like an encampment and he goes in there flames everything um you know people are dying left and right and the goblins come back out and of course you know they're pretty pissed and the problem was that their fighter and their cleric both went down pretty quick Mm -hmm. got knocked unconscious and they're making death saving throws every round the rogue says, I'm out, and goes hiding. Mm-hmm. And the wizard runs, just flat out runs, and, yeah. and, and escapes. And, um, and of course, I, um, the goblins, you know, they coup de grace him. It was like, yeah, and I was rolling the damage. It was awesome. Mm. <laughs> I hadn't killed players in three or four years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it yeah. actually, it was, I, I shouldn't feel so gleeful about it. But. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it was, not that it's not that hard in next. Uh, yeah, it's not. And but I think that part of the the reason that that it was, I really don't. Th- I didn't play the goblins extra hard. Mm-hmm. I didn't play them. You know, they didn't totally swarm. In fact, I let the players have a pretty broad um, uh, berth, if, or, or, or what's the word I want to use. But I gave them pretty good leeway on you know things about making noise and alerting, you know, mm-hmm. sounding the alarm and stuff like that. But even with that. They were still – I think they were still kind of under the impression that they could go into a room and expect to mop <laughs> things up. Right, right. And that's not the way it works. And I did warn them. I actually sat them down at the beginning and said, guys, 
I even read the paragraph in the Caves of Chaos, the section, and I won't read it here, but I, I read section where it tells them basically. Yeah. Encounters are structured differently. Life's, life's tough. Yeah, don't, you. Whatever you do, don't call that 4E player entitlement or else you'll get about 400 posts on RPG.net. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to call it player entitlement, but it's a style of play that is different to getting used to. Right. And um, so I think that – I think in future games when we play, I think that will go eventually go away and they'll start to think a little bit more outside the box. Mm-hmm. And – Particularly now that we've got equipment that means something, it's 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 useful. Um, it's not just you know dressing; it actually can serve actual functions, and um, you can you know be creative. Uh, the one I expect fully that my players will try to do something really crazy next time, like you know put together bombs or you know some kind of strange trap or or whatever to lure these huge mm-hmm. rooms full of monsters out, and to be able to pick them off in a much more um, safe way, if you will, um, than before. So, uh, but in the meantime, I'm trying to get my regular four E game back going as far as scheduling goes, and and uh, and until then, I'll be doing uh, running D and D next. So mm-hmm. cool, which is a lot of fun. So here, here, I'm enjoying it. Here's my advice for you, and I yes. learned I learned this from experience when I ran uh, my first session with the open play test stuff. Please, uh, what, when. Because we went, they, my my group went into the goblin caves as well, mm-hmm. and we only got through one encounter. And we had a very short amount of time to play, but we only got through one encounter. And the reason for that was mm-hmm. the DM, that's me, when looking for the goblins' hit points, was actually looking at the number for their AC, <laughs> <laughs> which is sig- wow. which is significantly more hit points than they should have had. <laughs> About three times as many, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. Don't don't do that. Yeah. yeah, don't do that's good advice. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> I have I have advice as well, and I'm sure. and a shameless plug. Um so one of the things we, we played a lot of this at um D D experience earlier this year. Yes. And a lot of the DMs bought Keep of the Borderlands, which is where Caves of Chaos, you know, the Caves of Chaos is from and the one of the first AD and D modules called Keep of the Borderlands. And the whole area of the town, like the the one thing that I was I'm I'm kind of disappointed with in the, the play test is one of the great things about D&D Next is combat is so quick that it gives you lots of room for exploration and lots of room for role-playing. Yeah. And right. there isn't any material in the thing to do much role-playing. Mm-hmm. There's a fair bit of exploration and, and there's a lot of combat. But there's a lot more that you can do with Next that you don't really have an opportunity to do because there isn't like a place to do a lot of heavy role-playing. Sure. Right. A lot of good DMs have thrown that in there, you know, role-playing with the various factions and stuff like that and, and prisoners and whatnot. But um, the town, the actual keep from Keep of the Borderlands is a really nice place. Um, so I wrote a, a, a couple of articles on Sly Flourish, um, the most recent of which includes a, a two-page PDF for um, fiasco-style relationships, NPCs, and a, and a brief a, a brief description of the keep. So if you throw this along with Caves of Chaos, you can actually have interconnections between your player or between your player characters, and there's a bunch of NPCs and kind of a sandbox environment about NPCs who are sending you off to the caves to go do things, and you know some some kind of you know r- opportunities for a lot of role playing, both internal to the party mm-hmm. and external. I've seen it. That's a, it's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I actually um, I th- this is the the point where I can admit that I was part of the friends and family playtest, and so we actually started playtesting Caves of Chaos a while back. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I wrote on RPG Musings a little bit about me doing some sandboxy sort of stuff with a with a new campaign, and mm-hmm. and, and that's what it was is, is we were doing that campaign, and so um, I actually went through this whole thing where I had the players sort of design the setting and the town they were starting from that's near the caves and all yeah. these different things, yeah. and so um, we ended up doing a bunch of crazy stuff with that. We've got a a very Romanesque setting with. Um, airships and there's only one empire nice. there's only one empire in the entire world it's just the one empire that that dominates everything in the world and it's a small world but it's connected to like every other world and plane in existence so if we want to jump off and go play gamer world for a session with the exact same characters we can do that wow so but, so that- yeah it was um, a good experience and um because uh, if they keep going with it like it is, um, you know, I don't want to lay my cards on the table too quick. I lose my geek cred, but mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> or my 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 critical analysis cred. But um, I like what I see so far. Keep it up. Very good. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that's about what I've done. So you liked it overall, D and D next? How do you feel about it? Oh, I love it. Good. I, 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 most of my players actually said it reminded them of three five. Mm-hmm. Okay. At least in the way it played out. Now, a lot of that is because they're younger, and that's really all they've played. They may have dabbled with some of the others, but that's their biggest influence. Sure. Me, I thought it was very much like first edition. So that you know, and I loved it. So yeah. Yeah. without without um, spoiling a future episode too much, because we are this the month of June for the Tome Show is going to be all about D and D next playtesting. Cool. Um, but I, my feeling of the whole thing is that it felt it feels very much like second edition to me. Ah. So, but I also I started with second edition. But see, that's interesting telling, and I wonder if that's what we're going to see. Is that it'll remind you of the edition you enjoyed playing the most? And see, if that's no, the case, I don't. I, then I don't think that's what it did. <laughs> I didn't enjoy second edition the most. It's just where I started. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I misunderstood you. Yeah. I apologize. So, but and we'll. I'll find out more about all that when we get into that those episodes. This is not that's right. What we're doing here, but. So it sounds like you got a good thing going on there. You're, you're squeezing in some extra gaming with uh, the D and D next playtest while doing the the fourth edition game and getting that scheduled. Yep, exactly. And you're hoping this month it's going to be a fourth edition game. I'm hoping. And they're going to Stone Ship. Is that where they're at still? Uh, no, Channelwood is Channel where they're going. Channelwood. Yep. Okay. Stone Ship is the last one. That was the last one I went to. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Very good. All right. Then we'll go on to me. Yay. I get to be next. Ha ha. Okay, so we killed Orcus. And let me tell you, I almost TPK'd the party with Orcus. Oh, wow. I want to hear about Orcus. It was beautiful. Um, I didn't quite go exactly with, with all the stuff that we talked about um, because their approach to Orcus ended up being very different than what I expected. Um, instead of going straight after Orcus like like they told me they were going to do, they started talking about going after the crystal that Orcus created that's helping Zaztam that's sort of the MacGuffin and that they need to destroy. So they were going to go after Orcus' crystal, not Orcus himself. Okay. So my little workaround there to make that work is I put a circle around the crystal. And anybody and anything that crossed the plane of that circle was teleported or, or portaled or whatever to... Orcus's, uh, basically his battle station because he was in the middle of this war with Demogorgon that we sort of talked about. Right. And so you go in to take out the crystal in the middle of this fight and all of a sudden you find yourself on a balcony alone with two, two Baylors and Orcus. And suddenly, you know, so the one guy that does that first is like, suddenly he's like, oh, 
crap. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> he filled his dieties. I'm screwed. I got to get back to that portal. <laughs> you know, which was very intentional. And then I put a bunch of terrain stuff in there that at the beginning of of the the combat round actually pulled them away from that portal to make it even harder to get back back there. Right. Hmm. Meanwhile, I had had Dorsane, which is Orcus's yep. uh, second in command or whatever. Uh, the, ghoul, the ghoul king. The ghoul king. He was he was guarding the crystal itself. Um, and his job was to to help separate the party, get some of them through the portal, but keep the others there so that Orcus could sort of do his thing. Um, and so by the time everybody ended up getting through the portal, because they couldn't get rid of the circle until Orcus was dead, and then the circle was no longer powered because it was being powered by Orcus's life force itself. Right. right. Um, and so by the time everybody got through the portal to, to take on Orcus, he'd already – him and the, and the Baylors had already mopped up pretty much everybody. I mean they were pretty seriously kicking the party's butt. Um, and then one of the players brilliantly figured out I, – I gave them all these little uh, – for our campaign, weave scar powers because they've all – all the PCs have sort of contained part of the weave in, right. in, the, in the effort to bring Mistra back. They're collecting bits of weave, and so I gave them weave scar powers, and one of them allowed you, allows him to teleport an enemy. And this ended up being the saving grace because he took Orcus and teleported him way off the balcony. So, and Orcus can fly, so it's not really dangerous terrain for him, and, and he'll, he'll be back next round, but it gave them that one round of breathing room that then the wizard was able to use his – Power to get everybody. He's got a uh, an epic destiny power. He's a plane shaper that allows him to take everybody to his astral seed for one round. They get one encounter power back, and they can all spend like one or two healing surges, hmm. and then they come back. So Orcus was totally kicking their butt, and then they got that one moment of reprieve, and that's all they needed to completely turn the whole thing around. I mean, wow. w- once they won, they won big. I mean, they by if you looked at just the last couple of rounds, it looks like they just dominated Orcus and kicked his butt. Right, hmm. wow. but but I had most of the party on the ground and everybody talking about a complete TPK mm. uh, for most of the combat. That's good. It was awesome. Keep them on your toes. Yep. Did any of them actually drop unconscious? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and I think one of the things that that you that seems to be very true of Fourth Edition is you either kill everybody or you kill nobody. Right. I think if oh, yeah. I, I think if it was a pre, if it was a previous edition, some of them would have died. Uh, given what what had happened, but because because it's fourth edition, basically everybody had to die or nobody was going to die. It was either going to be a TPK or they win. Right. So, but they ended up winning and they they destroyed the crystal and, and everything's better. Um, now they've decided the next thing to do <clears throat> is they need to start gathering up allies. Uh, and they've they discovered back in Heroic Tier, one of their very first adventures, that Zaz Tam is keeping a, a demon lord imprisoned uh, mm. under the capital city. And he's made him part of this larger arcane machine that is that they has now uh, allowed him to weaponize the spell plague. Mm. So Zazdam has weaponized spell plague that is completely devastating the, the planet. He's just he's now destroyed uh, something like a, a fourth of the continent. Mm. Wow! Which which demon lord is it? It's Eltab in in realms lore. Um, Thay, the capital of Thay, is Eltabar, and there's, mm-hmm. there's a long you know centuries long history of. Um, the demon lord Eltab having been imprisoned underneath that city. And that's where it got his name. Eltabar is named after Eltab. Mm. Of course, my players like to pretend he's Spanish. Eltab. <laughs> so, so in any case, um, way back like second or third level, I sort of 
knew this, this is going this direction. So they actually went through the prison already that Eltab is being held in. In fact, they have already encountered Eltab, and he was imprisoned there in this throne. There's actually a magic item in the Forgotten Realms campaign guide um, that is this throne that is specifically designed to, to contain Eltab. Hmm. And so he was there. He was in the throne, but they didn't have the power to get him out. And Eltab basically saved one of their lives to saying, but someday you're going to have the power to free me, and I want you to come back and do it because I'm going to kick Zastam's ass for this. Hmm. And so now they're finally going to get the chance. And so they're actually going to go into to Thay to free a demon lord to stop the weaponized spell plague and gain an ally against Zastam. And when wow. you say weaponized spell plague, what does that mean? Uh, it's a, basically, he's taken the spell plague and it is creating a ring that is ever-expanding and, and, okay. and, and cannot be stopped and just is destroying everything in its wake. And it's, it's, uh, ahead of it is, is a horde of zombies. That, that oh, lovely. He had, he, he had, it started, the whole thing started off as a, as a zombie apocalypse campaign, and then it took a different turn. But Okay. So he's got the zombies. They, they, the zombies come in and kill everything, and then the, the spell plague comes out in this ring after it and, and wipes out the all life, which then he uses to power this massive ritual he's using to turn it into an overgod. Hmm. And that's sort of the, the big – that's where the campaign's going. And so they're trying to take out all the little parts that Zaztim is using to become the, to conduct this ritual. So here's the thing: I want the, this next session to be very short because the plan is actually to do a bunch of of D and D next playtesting afterwards. There you go. Uh, so I want, and we because we haven't had a chance to do a, very much of it. So I want to do a short, like one or two hour session of freeing Altab. And the other trick of the whole thing is I have a guest. I have a guest player coming in, uh, Tracy Barnett, mm-hmm. um, who's known as the other Tracy and also hosts uh, a Tom Show um, show, Gamer to Gamer. Uh, he's going to be in town. And so I said, hey, it's it's a game night this weekend. Come and play. And so he's going to be a guest. And so I got to figure out how do I do it, uh, a session that is essentially, I'm thinking like one combat encounter that is in and out quickly, gets LTAB free, and figure out how to fit this guest in. Hmm. I've had some suggestions and some ideas. I've already picked out some monsters or, or, or tweaked some monsters. So I have some things in place to build an encounter, but I haven't actually figured out what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, and what Tracy's going to be there for. Does Zaztam know that the players are about to release LTAB? Um, Zaztam, knows that Zaztam. The, Zaztam knows that the party is, is working against him, mm-hmm. but he is occupied with his ritual. So he's not doing anything against them specifically, but he still has an ally in Bane. Now, they've killed his other major ally, which is Orcus. Um, But Bane is also helping him. And so one of the, for example, one of the the monsters I I pulled out was I took an Iron Golem, uh, I boosted it up, and I call it Bane's Iron Golem. Mm -hmm. So I was hoping to do some Bane stuff in here, actually, as Bane's uh, servitors are are working here. Uh, the previous time they went through here, they actually encountered a bunch of Shatter Kai that, that was our first TPK and they were all captured by the Shatter Kai. So I, I also created a uh, high level Shatter Kai to sort of, sort of be an, uh, make an appearance. Um, you use the iron golem from the monster vault. It, I don't know anymore because I'm looking at my, I think so. They probably re- re- rebuilt it. Yeah. And I, well, and I boosted it up to a 30th level elite and yeah. So it's a level, it was a level 20 originally. It might've been, yeah. Good. But it's it's my thing now. Do you have, so do you know anything about Tracy's character? Tracy's not coming in with a character. I was going to provide him with something. And that's part that's oh. part of what we got to figure out is what am I going to give Tracy? So, um, as, as, is he going to play monsters or is he going to 
play a PC of some type? Well, you tell me. What what ideas do you have? Now, I, I've, I've mentioned it to the players, I'll, and they tell you what not ideas. to do. Okay. Don't and we we just ran a game where somebody somebody had this. Um, don't don't have him run a PC that's going to end up fighting the party. Okay. Um, for a couple of reasons, but the main one is that PCs against PCs just doesn't play out very well. Okay, that's good to know because one of the options I was considering was having him playing a warlock dedicated to Bane. Yeah, if, I mean you can do that, but make sure it's a monster that he's playing a reskinned, okay. you know, a reskinned monster because the the math does not play out well. We had a, a game where we had two on five, I guess, and then mm. two people were much higher level, but because they didn't have any leaders and their hit points were really low, we, we wiped them out very easily. Yeah, one of the things I actually considered is, um, what if the combat encounter happened after they freed Altab, and he could actually play Altab? He could be the demon lord. The other, well, the other trick, so there's, there's a bunch of little nuances with it, and one of them is if he's kind of a co-DM, then, then, and he recognizes, the, the problem when you have, like, a, a, a player running monsters is they don't have the actual same goal that a dm does right right that like the dm's goal is to make the game fun right and a player that's playing a monster might switch over to i want my monster to go kill people and you know i mean at high epic it's not going to matter anyway sure and i and i and i feel like they're not going to get away with it right and i feel like with tracy I can very clearly say, here is your character's, your, your monster's goals or your character's goals or whatever, and, and he'll be able to handle that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You give Tracy motivation, he'll be, you'll be, he'll, he'll be jump, off He'll jump it. on it. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. But, but he's still, you know, you don't want one that's going to necessarily grief. Um, yeah, right, right. Not, not that you're grief, but, you know, now, PCs, one, one PCs of the, have no problem griefing monsters. One of the, one of the interesting. Um, and that can also be frustrating for Tracy if, if sure. he's playing a monster that's just getting stunned. You know, continually. Well, no, no. The idea was he was pl- he would play the monster that they're freeing. I mean, El Tab's supposed oh, to be their ally, so be right? on their side, right? Okay, yeah. Well, then he could, if he's going to be on their side, then he could play a regular player character. That's fine, right? Right. I think I say that works only if he's released early in the combat session. Though. Well, and my, and my, but my only concern, yeah. See, that's my that's exactly what I was going to say. My concern is. I can, I don't want to just walk in and free this demon prince, right? I mean, it's, it should be a, a fairly big deal. I mean, they're epic, so whatever. But, uh, you know, I, I almost wonder if I couldn't pull off some sort of them pulling a heist sort of thing to get in, get Altab free, and then the combat encounter happens. But I don't want him to be just sitting around waiting. Yeah, that's that's you a know? problem too. Is there a NPC that they regularly interact with who could, you know, suddenly join them as a high level or do they not um, have anybody near well, them? Well, I mean, they've got a whole a whole crew on their flying ship that right. that could join at any, any moment. Um, and were there sort of for that that purpose for a long time anyway. Um you know, so that that's an option. Although it feels like one of the more mundane options. One, I mean, one of the suggestions I got between Twitter and and my actual players is, you know, we we've described how the gods and the agents of the gods have have actually take, taken a very active role in the world, which because of what Zazim is doing. You know, they're either seeing a, a, a moment of, of great opportunity, or they're seeing a moment of oh my gosh, we got to stop Zazim, or the world's going to end. And so the gods are taking a very active role in what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's also sort of my my trick as a as a DM in epic tier to suddenly have them fighting gods all over the place. You know, normally mm-hmm. gods wouldn't be all over the place, but right. now they are right. because this is this major thing is going on. And so uh, one of the ideas that was brought up is that he could play some sort of agent or scion of a god mm-hmm. who's who's there to help them out. Um, sure. And I'm and I'm like, okay, well then, what god would help them? 
that you know they haven't had regular interaction with many gods, and if they've had any regular interaction with a god, um, it's been Sirik. And then somebody mentioned, what if he's a scion of Sirik? You know, Sirik, mm. uh, who's completely insane uh, and completely evil, but at the same time, he wants to see the PCs succeed because yeah. he, he is imp- the, the the trope I've, I've created is he is imprisoned for the the murder of Mistra. So if Mistra's back alive. He, they have to let him go because he couldn't. Can, he couldn't. Can Mistra still have a scion? Uh, yes. In fact, she kind of does, although they don't know it yet. Hmm. This could be an opportunity to introduce one or another one. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the way I would see it. I like yeah. the Syric one though. I, I in in some other games where there was a playtest I did where I had one of the players DM and I played and I played a agent of Loth that just happened to be on the same side as the party for a while. Right. And, my great fun was that I was continually trying to get all the members of the rest of the group to convert to Loth, and I had about three of the five by the time the game was done. Oh yeah, yeah. So they were they were you know, like you know, I had the rogue, and I was like, "Do you really want to be like every the butt of everyone's joke, or do you want to be the master assassin of the world?" He's like, "I'm in. You got me. Ready to, <laughs> ready to join Loth." <laughs> so it turned out not to be very hard. Now I've already statted up this warlock, so I could always make the warlock a, a sign of Loth. Or a sign. Sorry, of, I'm sorry. A sign of sign of Cyric, uh, yeah. and that and that would work very well. And um, you know, it gives give me a chance to. I, I did a a hex blade uh, yeah. doing the essentials version of the warlock, and so I'd, it'd give me a chance to see that in play because I haven't actually seen seen that class yet. I so I wasn't a fan. No, it's not. It's not all about you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so maybe I'll do that and, and make him the a sign of Cyric who wants to see them succeed. I tend I tend not to worry too much about how to integrate player characters, and, and so far my group doesn't seem to mind. Sure. So I don't know. It, 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 it's more important that he has stuff to do up front. And you know what I you know what I could do is I could have him play the Scion of Cyric, which would then come in with here I have a plan, you know, and that gets them towards the heist thing because normally they're just a kick in the door and kill everything sort of party. Um. So he could come in and, and say, "I'm here from Cyric. I have a plan. We're going to get in. We're going to free Altam so that you can so we can all." kick uh, Zaztam's butt and my master can get free. Mm-hmm. That works, but if you're going to do the heist method and say, well, and, and have someone say, well, we got to sneak in, make sure you give the players a good reason why they can't just kick down the door and, sure. and run in. Sure. Um, some kind of horrible, you know, volcanic explosion will kill them all, something, but it's got to be something otherwise to say, well, we'll just kick down the door in anyway. Sure. Which then is it, what my players do all the time. But so. see, and, and so what about this? What if he's playing the scion of Cyric? Maybe there is a betrayal after Eltab is freed, at which point he and I switch sheets, and now he's Eltab, and I'm taking over the the warlock as a monster. Uh, the, the, no? Nah, the problem with that is, the, again, player characters just don't play well as monsters. So unless well, you no, have no, a no. totally different I, stat I mean, block I, I, or something I could like stat him up as a monster, too. That's not yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not, I wasn't worried about that part. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to stat him up. The switcheroo I, might I, work. That's kind yeah. of a cool idea, actually. It, it's interesting, but again, you, you kind of have the deal where you have the big, the big bad monster that's being run by a player who's you know not necessarily fully you know embraced in the idea of how the game should run. Yeah, but if I, I, I feel like the monster would have the motivation to work with the party. Yeah, well, I keep forgetting that. He, yeah. uh, he's trying to get out. So, exactly. I mean, and if I tell Tracy that, he'll play it fine. Sure. So yeah. I, I keep forgetting that. I think I could do it, and, I, and I, so I think maybe I'll have that, that ready to go, and then just sort of play it by ear and see what they're doing and what what you know have have it prepared, but 
use it or not depending on how things are going. Yeah, good plan. So, because if anything else, if the combat's happening and it's kind of lame, I could always then have the switcheroo happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and just to throw everything into a tizzy and oh my gosh, now the combat's completely different. You know, so I might keep that option open. Now, here's the other trick. What's the encounter actually going to be like? You know, I, I sort of envision just sort of presenting them with the defenses and the, and the scenario and y- y- letting them f- figure out a series of um, skills and, and ac- actions and rituals and things they want to use to try to get in. Uh, they're pretty good about doing that kind of stuff if I give them a, a, a shove in the right direction. Um, but once the – I need to find some way to then have the encounter happen afterwards – in a way that makes sense and is, is fun. And the, the things I've pulled out are my Shatter Kai Slayer, who's a skirmisher, um, my Iron Golem. I, gra- I grabbed a couple of uh, Godforged Bolters, mm-hmm. uh, which are what, gi- like giant crossbow, thi- crossbow things? Right. Mm. Where'd you get those from? They are from a dra- dungeon magazine, mm. 173. Uh, and then uh, I figured if I needed it, the, a Legion, Legion Devil Militant Minion um, could be there as well because it would make sense that, that Bane, being a god of tyranny and, and what have you, would have you know his agents there protecting this thing. And, and so he'd have you know a small army. Hmm. So I have these, these pieces, but I'm not sure how to play them out and how to make this encounter something interesting. Hmm. So you well. guys go. It says that – I mean you said he's imprisoned under the city, but there's no reason that that imprisonment couldn't actually be on a, a pocket plane or something like that. Well, the trick is, again, remember, they've already been there. Oh, they have been there. Yeah, oh, they, okay. they were there like level three. Oh, OK. So they've been in this location. Yeah. All right. And I keep I, – I said under the city. It's actually under what's called the Citadel, which is Zaztam's personal little fortress, but – which is okay. a, a little ways outside of the city. And, I, and I'm not sure that, that what I what they've done in the past is big enough to justify these giant iron golems and, and you know things trouncing around in there. I mean, I could redo it and say, well, that was the temporary holding pin, and now that he's weaponized the spell, but like he you know created a larger arcane engine, right? You know, and and then I have the freedom to sort of redo some things. But what if the big bad guy isn't big? You, you have, I, I've noticed that in a lot of your um, – at least since your epic tier part started, mm-hmm. you have a lot of very large things. Yeah. Things yes, that it, are very large. But little but little things can be very, very deadly too. Yeah, and, and, and actually the answer the, – the, <laughs> that's, that's true and it's not. Uh, I've picked very large things, but most of the time I don't actually make them that large. I use the same stats and, make, and use smaller things. And in, and in the monsters I've, I've picked that I described, all of them are medium except for the golem. Oh, okay. The golems, right. the golems are large, and everything else is medium. So, yeah, my monster vocabulary is and all that. Sometimes, so I don't sometimes I, I also, I mean, that's the issue with fourth edition is that sometimes you're describing things in common vernacular, and it overlaps with keywords and things. So, right, yeah. Hmm. So, any ideas of, of how I should make this whole thing look, and how to make this? You know, how, why do the monsters suddenly show up after they freed Altab? Is there just like an alarm on the throne that that alerts them, or you know, how does that work? I certainly think that um, Zastam would have some, yeah, some kind yeah, of some kind of protections. Ward. And if yeah. he captured a primordial, or not a primordial, if he captured a demon prince, he very likely has, you know, 
magic and technology as powerful as the demon prince to protect it. Okay. So I, I don't think, yeah, I don't think that's out of line. So it could just be a matter of, um, and it could just be an issue of they, they got past all the defenses, but when they freed him from the throne, it triggered sort of a contingency that sent part of right. Bane's, Bane's army from where Zastam was there to stop what was going on. Right. right. Okay. That could be. I could buy that. I mean, I would almost, and I hate, this will get, this will probably gets comments too, but uh, I would almost run this one like a uh, a WoW boss. Okay. How do you mean? World War, I, well, in other words, have, you know, a lot of times when you're fighting one of those, and it's been a long time since I've played, but when I remember playing, you know, you have to sustain damage on something or, so, or it triggers something else happening. And um, if you don't knock something down right away, more stuff comes in. Or even if you do knock something out, well, then a bunch of more stuff comes in instead. So I, I guess these kind of like cascading events, depending upon how the battle with the main guy or a current guy is going at the time. Okay, so maybe the solo and the two elites show up first. The, the Iron Golems and the Shatterkai Slayer right. sh- show up first. And then... Each of their turns, they're bringing in the bolters and the and the, minion, the minions. Right, exactly. And then, That's... when when the golem falls or when the the Shatterkai Slayer falls, then it automatically triggers bringing in you know five more minions or whatever. Or or, or triggers a healing surge in the main boss. Okay. Uh... No, Mike, you have more expertise here. Than well, I, well, the, the problem comes with the duration of fights, and right. anytime you're healing a main guy, it just extends the battle. And, and one right. of my one of my goals is to make this short so we can go on to the playtest. Yeah. Stuff. Now, one okay. one one right. thing would be, you know, I mean, kind of, I, I'm I I I kind of dig the idea of escalating, yep, in, escalating encounter wide effects. You know, and and the easiest one is just have damage. You know, start at twenty and up it to twenty five and up it to thirty every round, and oh my god. Yeah. You know, you don't have to do any math. You don't have to figure it out. It kind of screws them because they're getting hit automatically. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to be nice about it, you say it's necrotic and fire damage, and those that have fire <laughs> and necrotic can resist it. But then you up the amount. <laughs> although, so although they, I, they feel I, good about that's, having resistances. But that said, they just did a whole it. bunch of that with the Orcus fight. Oh, they already got the whole certain environmental effects. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I when I built my Orcus, I took the published Orcus and your Orcus. Right. And I turned the published Orcus so it was much closer to your Orcus and then made a few tweaks for myself. Right. You know, I, I, I believe when I named it in the Monster Builder, I called it um, Griner's Orcus inspired by Shay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's his official title. The uh, right, but I, I don't. I mean, is that the one that had the the, angel, the angelic altars that had to be broken down? Is that uh, the one? I, I, I didn't do the altars themselves, but you know, right. he, but his yeah, but, those but powers. I, though. He, he had his aura that was doing tons of, of fire and necrotic damage. Um, okay. I had the the fire pits that were drawing them away from the portal, that were pulling them away from the portal, that also did extra fire damage. The, the start taking surges. The ba- the balers <laughs> were the balers were there, and they were doing fire fire aura yeah, damage. Right, right. They, they've got a lot of that already. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, what was the was something I had in my Far Realm Fiends article? There was an effect that I thought was particularly I can't remember. But it was some, you know, encounter wide effect that, you know, causes great problems for them. Um, you know, when they critically hit they take extra damage. When they teleport they take damage. You know, all the, the you know, what are all the things that annoy you? <laughs> and how do you put effects on that kind of let them continue to do it, but every time they do it, you know, okay, they, let, get, they get poked let, in the eye. Let me tell you what that is. 
Yeah, high damage, right? You said you have a ranger that does about a million damage. The around. ranger that does a million damage around and is that ne- all through crits and and never gets into combat, never gets into melee. Ah, okay, yeah. Um, I, so I, I I want him to actually take some risk. So I have a I have a critter that's going to be coming out in a future article that has a um, uh, that has a donut aura. Yeah, I've, and I've, I've, we've talked about your... We've talked about Donut Auras? Yeah. yeah probably, that, that's a way to get someone to move, uh-huh. right? Probably a year ago, done, right? Yeah, if you're not within five squares of this thing, mm-hmm. you are taking 50 damage mm-hmm. a turn. Um, yeah, and, and the damage can get really high really quick. But you said the other issue is is um, the amount of damage that Ranger puts out, right? Sure. Um, but, but part of that can be solved by what Randall offered as well, is that... Um, the the main people the main guy the the solo and elites are just constantly bringing in more monsters. Well, you could yeah. do more damage, but there's just more of them coming. You know? I'm, I've been toying with an idea of minions, like, and I got this from from playing Diablo three of having minions that when they die leave you know burst ones that do incredible amounts of damage, and maybe only for one round, right? Like right. they die and they leave this you know seventy five damage spot. And if you start your, you know, if you if you end your turn in it, you know, you take seventy five damage, which gets forces people to move around, and it happens when the minion dies. So if you have these minions that are, and they, you know, it only lasts a round, so you're not filling up the entire space with it. Sure. Um, but it does, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I don't think we have to stick to the math for for times where you create a situation that requires them to move out. Well, and, and, right. is, and is avoidable, and, and they're epic tiers, so I don't care about the math anyway. I throw everything at them. Yeah, right. So 50, um, starting with 50 damage and, and going for And there. there's also the issue of they don't have to kill the defend, these, these guardians. Mm-hmm. Their goal is just to get away. I figure um, as I'm thinking more about this, you know, um, the area where LTAB is being held is probably watered against teleportations and things. Right. Right? But if they could get outside of that, that area – it's reasonable that the the wizard is going to just pop him out instantly because that's what he does. Right. Um, so I mean, it, they just have to get out of the area. Mm-hmm. So uh, bringing in an endless wave of monster after monster after monster actually feels okay, right? You know, and having a second they, are, they, are they the kind of group that will do that? There, are they kind of group that's going to sit there and fight until everything's dead? Um, they will start fighting until everything's dead, and then quickly realize that that's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I guess if you have monsters, a continuing onslaught of monsters, and minions are a great one, and minions that leave, you know, minions that leave auto damage effects behind. Right. I mean, know. I mean, it worked really well with Orcus um, when they were fighting Dorsane at, at the yeah. crystal. They thought, well, if we just kill all the monsters, then right. we can then we can take our time and get to the crystal and figure all that out. Yeah. Except, I mean, they took out Dorsane in like two rounds. Right. And then he got back up. Right, because right. it was in the Shadowfell and in this area tied to Orcus, and so I, I just decided, you know, Orcus's power. The next round is just going to get them up every time. And so how you, how is you your can't kill um, anything? And so then they figured it out. <laughs> how is your ranger doing all the damage? Is it is it crits? Uh, he does regularly do crits. I think he crits on an eighteen or a nineteen. Yeah. Uh, l- lower on some powers, and all of his attacks are multiple attacks. Like any, it, he never attacks just once. He's always attacking four or five yeah. times. So it, they, if you he, know, one. It, if he does crit, he gets an automatic um, extra basic attack. Mm-hmm. So he gets to attack again. If he spins an action point, he not only gets the standard action from the action point, but then he automatically gets an, 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 an uh, a basic attack there too. Right. You no. Know, so if he wants to, he can make you know ten attacks in a round. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So you could you could um, uh, you know I, I had it in the far realm because it kind of made sense for the far realm. But you could have an art you know some some environmental effect you know pillars you know I always love nasty pillars you know 
mm-hmm. um, pillars that are that anytime somebody crits within ten squares of a pillar, the pillar hits them with either psychic or lightning damage or something like that. Well, and that works too. Uh, in the original sort of engine that I described, I actually in different rooms near El Tab, he was sort of the center of the whole engine. Um, mm-hmm. But there were these these plates covered in runes that were connected to other energy sources. So there was one that was pulling divine energy out of the astral sea and there was one that was pulling elemental energy out of the elemental chaos. So I could have those plates in there and if you do something or something happens near those plates, then there's consequences. Or or, you know, even have the various streams of energy on the map going to the center. Right. And if you're anywhere near that sort of channel of energy, then it covers even more of the map. Right, right. All right. I think I think I like the idea of waves of of monsters that uh, Randall came up with. I like the idea of using the the plates for environmental effects. Um, yeah, environmental effects are your friend in in, in epic tier. I just got to yeah. I just got to solidify in my head what I'm going to do with Tracy, but I've got some ideas there, um, and I'm thinking right now to do the warlock, or at least some sort of scion of of a god. I might make another PC tonight because you know making characters is fun. Um. But I might do that and then have stats ready to go in case they decide to flip. So, all right. I'm good and I want to leave some time to Mike because, you know, Mike likes to talk about himself. Oh, do I? Uh, so I've been running Guardmore Abbey. Our group hit level seven. I I've, I've, think I've run three or four games since the last time we talked. Um, I think we missed one or two weeks. I can't quite remember. Um and it's been a lot of fun. I've been, I've been, you know, throughout all of Guardmore, I've been uh, honing my lazy dungeon master skills. Right? I want to try to do. I want to try to run the game with as little required pep prep as possible, and then that way, any preparation that I do is all extra. You know, things to kind of make it a little nicer. But that the core of the game is already ready to go. And playing with a pre-published adventure helps. But um, you know, I find that a published adventure doesn't always help because you know none of these things are written exactly the way we want them and you want to modify them and you want to tweak them and you know the more rigid and structured the adventure is the harder it is to kind of break free so that's that's been a challenge with it uh but the you know the group has finally gotten to a point where it's not just following the script of the adventure the group is actually starting to make some choices and this last game uh, had a lot of these choices where the game previous, they went in and they fought Bakrosh the Orc, the Orc King, who's kind of leading, he's on the outskirts of the Abbey and he's leading raiding parties to go after um, uh, caravans and stuff along the King's Road. This isn't nearly as interesting as a big high-level epic tier adventure where you're primordial, you know, demon princes that are being siphoned for energy, but but it's fun. And um, anyway, so Bakrosh was sending these things off. So they fought Bakrosh two weeks ago and during the kind of during the battle through various insight checks and then finally at the end when they were continually trying to bull rush him into a pit and he's just lying on the ground struggling not to get pushed into this pit and he's finally like just stop i don't really care that much right and it, it turned out that he hated his job anyway that his job had become totally bureaucratic <laughs> that he you know he used to have fun raiding stuff but now he's just like how do i get food for all of these stupid you know mercenaries and orcs all the time and the people are always trying to kill him and assassinate him and it's just he's having a lousy day right he's had a lousy time you know his second in command is always on his ass about not being you know not being a good enough leader and it's just a, it's just a hassle so he's happy to just you know give up he'll he'll give up his sword he'll tell them more about the abbey and he'll just you know grab a leg of a table and walk off and and go become you know go rebuild his empire somewhere else which is tends to be what he enjoys 
Um, so the group took over his little operation. And instead of just kind of disbanding it all, they said, well, we want a headquarters. So they, they you know, the, the bard, uh, the very charismatic bard kind of went out front and said, we are going to establish a new business here. And we have, you know, we're going to, we, we want to have a, a, a large all hands meeting where people will come and will describe the new business that we're going to operate from here. And the, the business is essentially. So they held a press conference. They held a press conference and, um, they were more of like an employee forum, if you will. Okay. Um, and this huge kind of scarred mercenary, six and a half foot tall mercenary was kind of watching them the whole time and giving them this stink guy. And, uh, they said like, well, we want to establish a, a, a setup where, you know, we want, we want you guys to go out there and, and not just raid car, you know, not raid caravans, but instead, you know, help protect villages and things like that. So the big guy kind of came up, he, you know, the big guy headbutted somebody just to show how tough he was. And he walked up and they said, you know, you sir look like you could help us out and maybe become one of our, you know, chief of operations for this whole thing. So he walked in and it turns out the guy is this totally articulate, you know, very business focused guy who understands completely what they're doing. And, you know, other than the fact that he's six and a half feet tall and badly scarred, he could have, you know, run any number of businesses and, and legitimate businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, you know, after a good deal of role playing, they established a Ponzi type business where uh, people would join the group. And if they could get 10 of their friends to join, then they would get a cut of each of the 10 friends and all the money would get kicked up. And that way they'd have this constant flow of money for a bunch of mercenaries that are protecting themselves from themselves. There, and, there, uh, there needs to be some sort of regulation in this place. They're, they're more, you know, it that, keeps them all busy. That kind of right? thing ought to be illegal. I'm just, yeah, so I'm they, just saying. They renamed the uh, – hang on one second. So uh, that's what happens when we don't have headphones plugged in. Um, so we uh, – no, I totally lost my train of thought. Uh, so they named the place the Ponzi Palace. <laughs> and uh, after, which, after the great wizard Ponzi, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? So – and then they went off and, and they've been kind of getting more involved in Gardmore. I think, um, I think you ought to invent the NPC, the great wizard Ponzi. I could. Yeah. I think that would be fantastic. And he and he wears a leather jacket and goes, "Hey." Mm, I don't I don't <laughs> think so. I, I think, think they should just uh, All right, let me write Amway. that down on a 3 by 5 card somewhere. Uh-huh. So, um, Amway and that'd be good to go. Yeah, I was actually trying to work it out to be kind of an Amway thing. You know, <laughs> fine products. Uh so that was, I mean, it was the interesting bit about that was kind of how humor plays out in the game. And my, my feeling, you know, because I'm kind of being a lazy DM is I'll let it go wherever they want it to go. So if they want to spend a while, you know, joking about how they're creating a big Ponzi scheme, I'm happy to, to do that. And, um, you know, the NPC, the big scarred guy was not somebody I had preplanned. I just said, I'm going to have a big scarred guy. And then at the last minute I said, you know, I don't want to be, to be a stereotypical bad guy. I'll have him be really, really bright. And he just been hiding the fact that he's bright because nobody, none of the orcs ever cared. Um, but one of the things that I've been doing with this story is instead of kind of figuring out, well, where are the PCs going to go next, which I've been very careful not to do. I've, I've left the whole place open for them. I didn't set up any Dwarven Forge. I didn't set up any maps. They could go wherever they wanted to go. Uh, is I was always thinking about what the NPCs are doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's one of my favorite ways. I don't, I probably talked about on this show, mm-hmm. right? That, you know, I like to say, okay, well, Sir Oakley is an NPC that they've been with, but they kind of ditched Sir Oakley in order to go deal with the orcs. 
because Sir Oakley, Sir Oakley wanted them to go deep into the heart of Gardmore while uh, Lord Padraig wanted them to go take care of the orcs. So they finally started doing what Lord Padraig wanted. Well, that meant Sir Oakley went off by himself. So Sir Oakley is now climbing up the back of the Gardmore and going into the thing, into the main area himself. Meanwhile, the, the group, uh, the rival adventuring party known as the Greyblades uh, is trying to gather all the cards for the deck of many things as well. And they took the path of least resistance and said, well, we're going to go into the Fae Grove because it's not as bad as these other places. So while the party was kind of wandering about dealing with the orcs, the Greyblades actually, uh, uh, you know, badly wounded the third major NPC of Gardmore Abbey, Baron Valfarin, and took his card and then ran off. So there, while the party is busy doing their things, these other, and then there's two other NPCs that the party doesn't really know much about. One of them is a, uh, a former spy slash, you know, I guess mainly just a spy of the orc king or the orc lord who now is freelance. And she also wants the cards and she's off doing her own thing. And then there's another villain that's kind of off doing his own thing. And I you know, from day to day in, in game day, I kind of know where they're going and they're starting to clash together. And, and, you know, the parties, it's not monster closets. The party isn't going to just activate something by walking in, you know, if they go one way, the monsters are going another. Yeah. I, I think, um, I, I so far you don't need anything from us. Uh, you are doing one of the things that at, when I've played as a player, one of my favorite things that I've seen DMs do is make the dungeon dynamic. You know, if, yeah. if we spent a month recovering and, you know, firming up our base of operations or trying to end a curse, you know, and traveling around to, on that little side quest or whatever, the, the NPCs and the monsters were doing something. And when we went back to the dungeon, it was different. You know, right. something had changed. Or sometimes uh, I remember in a third, uh, third edition game, uh, you know, I think my favorite example in my head of a DM who doing this was when we did return to the temple of elemental evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things we did to, uh, end an encounter was the wizard. I think that was me actually, um, stone shaped part of the wall out hmm. and, and shut and closed the hallway. So right. that, so that the, the horde behind it couldn't get to us. Well, we came back several weeks later and discovered, Oh, that was the only exit from that part of the dungeon, and we just suffocated and or starved an entire tribe of orcs or whatever that was in there. You know, wow. So, so you know, it worked out well in, in our favor that in that case, but we've also had things work out very negatively for us in, in that campaign. Right. Uh, and I that sort of dynamic play is brilliant. It sounds like you're, you're doing it very well. I mean, the, yeah, and the, and the, the villains the nice... are doing something, the heroes are doing something. Right. Just because the players right. aren't involved doesn't mean that that the rest of them have stopped right. trying to achieve their goals. And I've been cheating a little bit by giving them little hints and dream sequences and stuff like that so they know that things are going on. Um, but then they're seeing it, some of it, directly when they go into the Fey Grove and they see a badly wounded Baron Valfaron who's like, yeah, those assholes just oh, – sorry, those jerks just came in and took <laughs> – sorry. Uh, those those jerks just took our my card, you know, and now they're off headed to the north, you know. So, yeah, so that's worked out. Mm-hmm. The, the, the areas that I actually – and these are kind of more general things. One is that um, – um, I have a couple that plays at my game and, uh, the, the, uh, the wife is pregnant and she's going to give birth in August and I'm going to lose them both, um, uh, at least for a good while. And mm-hmm. I'll probably lose, but at least, you know, I'll never see them both at the table again for some time. Right. Um, I've got another player who's kind of in and out. He's running a business and he's wants to spend more time on the business. 
Um, and uh, the other ones are pretty solid. But finding new players is always tricky. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to kind of bring up that topic in general and see, you know, what are some of the tri- you know, tricks that you guys have found for bringing in, you know, bringing new players into, into your group? Yeah, I mean, um, I've had moderate success with this. Um, when we've needed to bring new players in, it's usually been, you know, hey, does anybody know anybody who might be interested in playing? Right. Why, why don't you talk to them and see if you can get them in? And we've, we've added some new players that way. Um, you know, uh, Andy Meyer, um, who's contributed on our, some of our book club episodes, um, and is known on Twitter, um, in the community joined our group actually through Twitter. He, he Mm -hmm. sort of, he tweeted and said, Hey, does anybody know of any games going on in, in the area? And I said, uh, come join mine, you know? Mm -hmm. And, And so, um, you know. Yeah, and we've got, we've got lots of players in the Washington DC area, but you know, group dynamic can be right challenging well that's where i think usually having somebody bring in somebody they already know right you know can help right. because they if, if they get along with at least one person <laughs> the, the, who gets along with the group then there's a good chance they'll get along with the group yeah that's, right and they'll, they'll have a good true. understanding for it yeah. the nice thing that i've got now is this Gardmore is level and I, I, i've i have another another couple that actually runs a game the husband runs a game that i that i play in um every other week and I'm, you know, they've, they've come, but you know, it's pretty because my, I have a middle of the week game. It's like Wednesday nights. So that's challenging. It, it works really well for the people that can commit to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, it can be kind of a big commitment to make yes. for people to say, okay, I'm going to take up a Wednesday night right after work and, and play until 10. Yeah. See, I'll, I'll, I, I'll never go to a middle of the week game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, the nice thing is it worked for me for six years, but right. you know, I don't know if it's, you know. Who knows? But the other nice thing is it's a level six to seven game. It's going to be level eight before it ends. I might do one more fourth edition run uh, after that. That's going to start at level one and and go to like level whatever. Um, Not probably not certainly no higher than than 10. And uh, then we'll be doing D&D next, which will probably be lower level. So it's a pretty easy time for people to join. You know, they're not jumping in when everyone's right. level twenty-four. Yeah, that's that's um, one that's one of my issues right now is that we could really use, I think, about one more player. Yeah, right. Uh, but you know, we're twenty-seventh level. And well, how many have... how many more games do you think you have left? Our plan is to finish the summer. Yeah, right. right. And I and I think uh, right now I think our plan after that is um, we might do some little side things or whatever. But after, our primary stuff, I think, after that is going to be D and D next stuff. Yeah, I, I was thinking that, but I don't know that there's enough D and D next stuff yet to right. do something for real long. I'm hoping by August, September, or maybe you know, even if there's not at that point, then um, yeah, one of the other guys wants to do some DMing and some stuff. So you know, we could do a little mini campaign for a few months after that if we needed to. Yeah, I've got a. I've, I think the next one I'm going to do is a Neverwinter slash Undermountain campaign, where I'm going to take Undermountain and I'm going to put it underneath Neverwinter, and then there'll be kind of city <laughs> city intrigue going up mm. on and above, and then a giant vast dungeon below. Although the uh, the Minzo Branzan book comes out this, yeah. this summer, and that's that is actually fairly near Neverwinter. It's oh, not, is it? It's not too far away. Eh, I could just mash it all. I mean, it's, it's not directly under, but I mean, with yeah. a little with a little bit of tweak to geography, you could put it really close. Yeah, the problem is I don't like drow. Yeah, right. And I don't, I don't know that I like Drow for anything other than bad guys. I mean, like enemy. You know, oh, no, no, no. I'd, I'd, I'd use it as a. I, I haven't seen the book. I don't know what's in it. Yeah. Um, but in my mind, it's likely to be a setting thing. So you can. Have, oh, it's yeah. It's, I mean, you can have it have a party of non-Drow, and but it's still right. still good setting information for going there. It's it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So um, 
So yeah, so the one trick is like how to find, how to kind of get new players and, and seek them out. And, and I think that the tricks that have worked for me is, in, and with, you know, moderate success is hosting one-shot games where you kind of have people, you know, on your list and you want to see how they work out and you want to see if they like your style and stuff like that. So you run a series of one-shot games. I've been doing that with some D&D Next playtesting. Uh-huh. Um, and then, or people that, you know, we happen to know. But it's always, it's, you know, I think... You know, I was somebody had sent me a link to an article, my 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 original fourth edition review, and I said, you know, the biggest, most challenging thing with D and D is getting a good group, and it's just so much harder than like playing Diablo three and hitting the sure. group button. See now, now here's here's my experience though, is that every now and then, you know, over the course of the what the four years, almost five years, we've been running this campaign, um, we've had people come in and and not really mesh well with the group, mm-hmm. but. They tend to sort of take care of themselves. Hmm. You know, we've had players join and the group do- doesn't change. Right. And this one person doesn't quite fit in and people don't really jive well with what they're doing sometimes. And so no- nobody's sort of building off of what they're trying to do. Uh, and pretty soon they just stop coming to games. You know, uh, we we have yet to have somebody uh, in this campaign who's joined, didn't fit in and still stick around. And I've had things like that happen like when I was in high school or whatever, right? But we're, with a, with a, a level of maturity um, that people, you know, gamers of our age, I imagine, uh, have, um, I think people are pretty quick to figure out, you know what, I'm not having as much fun as I could here. I've got other things I can do in my life, and they go and do those. Yeah, yeah. The, um, yeah. So that's, and, you know, one of the other interesting things is, like, how much humor to have in a game. You know, we had this, like, hour-long role-playing session about Ponzi schemes, and, you know, and I let it just kind of go you know, figuring if that's what they enjoy and then always figuring that I can bring some more seriousness back into it whenever I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's always kind of a balance. You know, everyone's a little bit happy go lucky after working a full day and then coming to play D D they don't want, you know, deep drama. Sure. Um, but, uh, but no, on the I'm... other hand, you know, some DMS could, could really get kind of bent about, you know, here I have this yeah. nice serious story and, and everyone else is just turning it into slapstick comedy. Yeah. I see. I don't, I tend I, not to care. I, I don't sweat that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, Part of the point of D and D is to get together with a, a bunch of buddies and have fun, and right. that that includes slapstick, stupid humor sometimes. Right, right. You know, and I know, think I think like watching how World of Warcraft. You know, we talked about Warcraft earlier, but World of Warcraft mixes humor in with serious games pretty well. You know, it it doesn't right. seem to ever really lose its. You know, it doesn't seem to ever really lose its its uh, impact, even though it's got kind of jokey jokey things going on. Sure. I actually had a thought going back to your looking for a player thing. Um, you could also be active and looking for something too. Uh, instead of sort of having people go out and, and, and search for them, you know, mm-hmm. go out on recruiting missions to the local encounters or lair assault or whatever. Yeah, sure. You know? And then if if you sort of like one guy or whatever. Or, yeah, actually, one of the one of the players from my group came from that. You right. Know? He was a dude we'd met when we were when we were playing games and kept in touch and and uh, yeah, I invited him to my main game. So that might yeah, be that was going to be my big suggestion was that to if you've got a good I always feel like in a game store you like. Yeah. yeah so. I feel like I'm siphoning off of our organized play area. <laughs> yeah, like like you know, I mean, I know the guys who run the organized play here, and they're really really good. Really great guys, and they 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 managed to put together you know thirty forty people. Some I guess there's a hundred people total, but thirty forty at any given time that they put these big games together. Mm-hmm. And then I go in, and I only go in when I need a player for my home game. And then I, never <laughs> that. you know, and they know me, and they're like, yeah. So yeah, so I don't know. 
but it, yeah, I mean, that's, that's certainly, there's certainly a lot of folks there. I see. Yeah. Um, well, it, sounds, then, it sounds like they got plenty of people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then you the know, other kind of interesting trick with the game has been the balance between role-playing and combat. You know, the game I ran last night, we mm-hmm. had one battle against displacer beasts and sturges. Um, oh, and I did a little trick for this that I'll, that I'll mention that I thought worked, worked pretty well. I don't know if you can get away with it below level five, but certainly above five, I think you can get away with it. Um, but yeah, you know, we had one battle, a big role playing up front where they were dealing, figuring out where they wanted to go and building their Ponzi scheme. And then a, a, a good bit of role playing afterwards where they were dealing with Baron, Baron Valferan and, and kind of learning more about the cards and learning more about the, the, the rift between the Feywild and the, the, the mortal world. And then deciding to go to the tower, the haunted, the kind of nasty, you know, the nasty Southern tower. And that's where it's going to start. So next week is going to be just, you know, dungeon, dungeon delving through this tower. Mm-hmm. Um, but the trick I did for that battle was uh, we had six players and two leaders, and rather than throwing more monsters in and making it hard and or you know, doing a lot of other tweaking, I just added five damage onto all the monster attacks. Okay, sure. And up front, I had the same. I have one guy at my table who always says, "This is too easy," and he says it just as soon as the monsters are on the table. He's like, this, "We're just going to steamroll this," and then everybody's getting hit for an average of twenty damage a shot, and you only have sixty <laughs> hit points. Yeah, you know, I, I did a similar trick. Um... In a previous session, I, I I may have talked about this. They were going after this this primordial that uh, is in the form of a dragon. Yeah. Um, and I think we talked about it briefly, but it, it sort of hid in one of those in-between weeks where I didn't actually get to get advice from you guys. So I built it on my own. And one of the things I did is in the room right before him, I picked out a whole bunch of uh, – Pretty tough monsters, like solos and you know, like bailers and that kind of stuff. Um, and they they would they could pick a door. This is sort of a maze full of doors. They pick a door. They get a vision of something going on in the world. Right. This is my way of giving them all the information at this level of okay. Th- I'm going to lay all the cards on the table so you know exactly what's going on now. Right. So they have all these visions, and then a creature walks through the door and you fight it. Yeah. Um, you know, and so but this is my also my way of, of whittling them down a little bit before they got to the big big boss fight in the next room. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my trick to making that those, all those, you know, cause it was 10, it was maybe like 10 different solo creatures, right? This could have gone on for freaking ever. Right. Uh, so what I did was I, I bloodied every single one of them. They started the fight bloodied, huh. but did double damage. Right. You know? yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I've seen a lot. Well, double damage on a creature. That, that the, those, those bailers. Doing, doing double damage. Oh, the bellers are tough. Oh my god! god. I, I I was doing over a hundred points of damage on on some hits. It was sure. It was fun, and and they'd still drop them in a round or two. Yeah, you know, but, but that scared them. Oh, yeah, well, I kept the hit points the same. It was just added damage, and it was only a five five extra, but it was enough. And and yeah. I had I had two or three people down in a given well, time. Yeah, and, that, and I guess that's what I'm saying is that it's the same trick. It's just I'm an epic tier, so yeah, the right. math the math is completely different. Yeah, yeah, and there's not. I don't think you can add enough damage to epic tier creatures. <laughs> there isn't enough numbers, I think, in the world. Yeah, to, although to, although I, I almost had a, I almost had a TPK in that in that one too. That's two sessions in a row that they were they were really. I mean, I think they were more threatened in their in. In yeah. those two sessions, than they had been in the entire rest of the campaign. Yeah, you could just make the Beller auto crit. He does three d ten plus seventy one <laughs> damage on a, yeah. on a crit. He does. Um, anyway, yeah. So that, that, that those have been kind of the interesting things. This this whole experiment in lazy DMing, I think, has been really fruitful. Yeah. Uh, I still have a group that they, 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 and I think they're just doing it to to mess with me. But they keep saying that I'm railroading them, and I'm like, you know, you can go wherever you want as long as it's in Guardmore. Like, you know. I'm not going to let you run off or I'm not, not going to let you, but you know, it will be interesting if you decide to go to the, you know, some swamp and I don't have anything, but oh, on the assumption you're in Gardmore, you can go wherever you want. 
just park a cup just park a copy of Expedition to the Barrier Peak somewhere. Yeah, oh sure, you know, I could do whatever I you know, I could do any of that. But it's like it's like well, this know. is what you get when you go off I the I bought Gardmore. I got all the minis for Gardmore. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? They went to a swamp, fine. Black Dragon. Don't yeah, right. <laughs> they probably beat it. So, um, yeah, so the, the lazy DMing thing has, I think has been working really yeah. well. And what well, I like about it is, you know, like when, I, when, when my, what used to take me hours on a weekend, like four, you know, four or six hours on a weekend. Now I say, Oh, time to get ready for the adventure. And I take out a single three by five note card and I write like, here are the, you know, the main little bit of the summary from last week or the points from last week that I want to kind of highlight. And then a couple of other things and then maybe where it might head and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's so kind of freeing to sit at the table and let things roll. Yeah. Although it makes it makes these conversations interesting because one of the you know big things we do is you know what are you doing next time that we need to get, need help on? Yeah. No, <laughs> and and we actually can't, I do. We, I mean, they're, they're we can't do that for you. Tower. Yeah, they're doing the big haunted tower. But uh, anyway, so that's that's my game. Cool. Sweet. And I'm also doing a, a play test where we're finishing the last. I think I talked a little bit about it last time. Um, I have one session left in our uh, D&D Next playtest going through uh, White Plume Mountain, which has been fantastic. So I got man, one. Play that, play that in high school. Yeah, man. that's a that's a great adventure. <laughs> I tell you, these old these old adventures are fantastic. You know, yep. Keep of the Borderlands is fantastic. White Plume Mountain. And I've got uh, sitting right here is my uh, the original Temple of Elemental Evil that I bought for four dollars. It smells like tobacco. It's great. Nice. Yeah. And, nice. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, to playing through this. I think this is going to be my first D&D Next mini campaign. I actually think I'm going to try to run mine through um, Slave Pits of the Undercity. Yeah, I have that. I that have. is a great series of modules, and yeah. it's just, yeah, it's pretty cool. So I'm thinking about which world I'm going to send my, my players to next. Because the whole point of doing Nexus is that I could send them off to all these different things and do all, you know, every every product that comes out can be part of my campaign. That's the Scourge um, of the Slave Wards series, right? Uh yeah, under city. Yep, yeah. slave bits of the under city. Assault on the area of the slave lords. Right. Uh, I just like the terms. in the dungeons of the slave. Well, the nice thing is, but the is the is the last module is an escape from a dungeon, from oh, really? a cave where you yeah. have none, where you don't have anything, and you have <laughs> to muck around for mm. like the barest of weapons and and things. You have to make deals with people to get out and. It's cool. You know, it's uh, it's tough. I mean, they're all all of those. A lot of those old modules are all based on convention modules mm-hmm. and con- uh, and contest modules. And mm-hmm. so, th- a lot of times, they were like, you know, you do the best you can to survive, right. <laughs> just to be able to get out. And um, that's what makes them so classic. I mean, and, this would actually and, be perfect if you ran Temple of Elemental Evil and then Scourge of the Slave Lords. You'd have because yeah. they're they're back to back in level, so that would take you straight from one to. One of eleven. Do temple or return to the temple? Uh, I'm, I'm doing the original AD and D temple. Oh yeah, yeah, that's what I've got. Well, now that one's from because like Slave Pits of the Inner City, the first module in that series is from levels four to seven. Oh really? Yeah, so, but, but the levels don't translate exactly anyway, right? Because we don't actually, no. no. Well, no, they this, would. Is, this is this, no, is, a, this is a new addition. You can make it whatever you want. I mean, I'll tell you, I've just reskinned. Like I took I took the White Blue Mountain stuff and just reskinned the monsters. Yeah. And uh, and it works. It works perfectly. So oh, yeah. it was the I didn't have to do any work at all to do a conversion. Right on. Um, so yeah. So far. No, well, I mean, I've I'm prepared to run the third, <laughs> and we've already run the first two halves, and it worked fine. Sure. <laughs> White plume. Very good. Well, right, cool. we're at an hour thirteen, so uh, it's time to call it good.
All right, guys. Mike, say goodbye since you wouldn't do the introduction. Goodbye. Well, that was lame. <laughs> hey, Mike, how do they get a hold of us if they if they want to be part of the show and, and help have us help on help on their campaign? Oh man, one eight hundred Tome Show. No. Nine one nine. Email you. Nine one nine Biz Tome. Nine one nine Biz Tome. B i z t o m e, or the Tome Show at gmail.com. All ethical charges apply. Yes. <laughs> I'm not paying your phone bill. Guys, right, it's a toll-free number, so we should probably say that. Yes. <laughs> That's true. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.